going into my senior year when the NFL sends you, um, you know, your your grade or projections, I should say, of where they project you, your strengths, weaknesses, all that stuff. And they projected me to go uh, late second round, third round. And so I remember being disappointed um, and I hung it on my wall. I hung that projection on, on my apartment wall uh, in my bed so that I could see it every day um, I, I, left, I left my apartment because I wanted to be constantly reminded what I was working for. The 2001 NFL Draft is a defining moment in Chargers history. After going 1-15 the previous year, it was imperative the team selected a franchise player, maybe even someone with Hall of Fame potential. Before finding him in a 5'10 running back from TCU, they first had to pass on another electric talent. The draft is a story of sliding doors and what-ifs. What if Michael Vick had been a Charger? What if LaDainian Tomlinson hadn't been deemed a first-round talent? There was never much doubt that the Virginia Tech QB's name would be called at the top of the draft. But LT, his journey to San Diego initially wasn't as clear, but a blockbuster trade helped pave the way. In this episode, we'll show you just how Tomlinson skyrocketed up draft boards and how a trade forever changed the course of the Chargers. For Chris Havery, I'm Haley Elwood. This is Running for History, Episode 2, The Trade, presented by Lazy Dog. San Diego Chargers select LaDainian Tomlinson. Damian Tomlinson, one step closer to football immortality. And the handoff to Tomlinson, and he will gallop into the end zone. Charger fans are witnesses to history. Hey everyone, have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They're great for those days when you just don't feel like cooking. They're made in-house, frozen in retro-style trays, and ready to pop in the oven whenever you need them. One of my personal favorites is the chicken pot pie, filled with slow-roasted, hand-shredded chicken breast and seasonal vegetables in a pie dough crust. And now, for the fall, they've got a new oven-roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey, with gravy and all the trimmings. It's even got a salted caramel pumpkin cheesecake with a graham cracker crumble for dessert. So get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery, and you can check it out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. When most people think of the 2001 NFL Draft, they think of the blockbuster trade at the top. Chargers and Falcons, Michael Vick for LaDainian Tomlinson, a deal that would define two franchises for the next decade and beyond. But let's rewind. LaDainian Tomlinson's rise up draft boards began his final year of college. Over 2,100 rush yards, 22 scores, a trip to New York for the Heisman ceremony, and winning the Doak Walker Award will do that for a player. And as I progressed throughout uh, my senior year, you know, you would hear the male Kuypers and, and whatnot projecting where we all were going. And so I moved during the year, I moved to early second round, but they still, you know, still was Deuce McAllister, Lamont Jordan, um, Travis Henry, all those guys were still projected ahead of me. While he still had plenty of doubters, Tomlinson made it clear that his junior year wasn't a fluke. Chargers president of football operations John Spanos and L.A. Times writer Sam Farmer still recall the questions pundits had about Tomlinson. Back then, I remember there were some, you know, pundits who speculated or I should say questioned maybe, you know, LaDainian's play style. How would it translate? You know, the college he ran at TCU is very different than what offenses looked like. Uh, the offense he ran at TCU is very different than what offenses looked like in the NFL. 
And so some people question, you know, he's in space a lot in college. How's it, how's it going to translate? There are always these freaks in college, uh, again, who don't necessarily translate into the NFL as great players, but they put up absurd numbers. And you're wondering, well, is it the system? Is it the player? Is it a combination of both? And the NFL game is so much faster, and a guy's not going to be able to do that when he, when he moves over to the pros. While the NFL world had a magnifying glass on Tomlinson, trying to figure out if the TCU runner could hang with NFL talent, his teammates, like tackle David Bobo, had very little doubt. It's kind of like the same guys that recruited him out of high school. You know, everybody thought that too small, not big enough, not fast enough. But he, every time I saw his back, whenever he ran past me, he sure seemed fast enough. And it didn't matter who was on the field, whether it was a Big Ten Northwestern or whether it was, you know, a Fresno State. It didn't matter who was out there. He was faster than the fastest guy on the field. And when you saw that, I don't see how it couldn't have translated. And that's why I always thought this guy's something special. This guy's something that is going to translate to the NFL. And, you know, I always hoped that he'd be the NFL first ballot Hall of Famer that he was, but you never know that. But I always thought that he was going to be something spectacular because he was, he was always improving himself. I mean, in every facet of his life. I think that's what was neat about LT. As the draft process started for LT, he soon learned it would be an entirely different beast. His road to New York City started with the 2001 Senior Bowl, the college football all-star game, where Tomlinson would compete against fellow NFL-ready prospects, not only in the game, but in practice that week. And this is when I was able to size up guys like Travis Henry, you know, because we were on the same team, and see what, what these guys had. Deuce McAllister was there, but he didn't play in the game, you know, so I was still able to kind of size him up like, oh, this is who they say the best running back is in the draft? Okay. And I remember that week having some great practices and I started to hear rumbles, you know, like, hey, man, this kid from TCU is the real deal. Tomlinson's South team would go on to beat his former high school all-star game teammate, Drew Brees' North squad, 21 to 16, while Tomlinson was named the game's MVP. His 88 yards and a score proved that he wasn't just a small school player taking advantage of lesser competition. And the South head coach, Green Bay Packers leader Mike Sherman, let him know and gave him the spark he felt he needed to be a first-round talent. NFL draft experts and analysts like John Clayton took notice, too. He said, hey, you're the best running back in this draft. You approved it this week. He said, I wish I could draft you. I wish I could get a chance to draft you, but I know I'm not going to have a chance to. And that's when I first said, thought to myself, Man, I must, I'm, I'm moving up the drop boards. And then, sure enough, after that week, I started to hear Mel Kuyper say, now Thomas is moving up the drop boards. You know, he's up there with Deuce McAllister, and it's him and Deuce McAllister, you know, who's going to be the first running back to take him, all right? Him being able to stay in college that extra year helped him out. Him being able to get the 2,000-plus yard season in his last year in college, that was huge. But the Senior Bowl does help because what you're able to do then is that you're able to go out there against top talent that's going to be a little bit older than what you're going to face you know and as the toward the end of a season and you know get the chance to do well and that's where Ladanian did well I mean really when you think about Ladanium he did everything well that everybody wanted to be a success in that National Football League Senior Bowl indeed did help 
LT's name may have been on the rise at that point, working his way into the top 10 of the draft, but there was a clear number one pick, and that was Michael Vick out of Virginia Tech. The D.C., Maryland, Virginia area is nicknamed the DMV and has been a hotbed for NFL talent. In 2001, Vic was its guy. Before becoming a Charger, DMV native Sean Merriman remembered the buzz around the rising star from Newport News, Virginia, including how the Chargers, who held the first overall pick, were part of that chatter. Jim Trotter, who was with the San Diego Union-Tribune at the time, also recalled just how revolutionary Vic was to the quarterback position. Being from that area, you knew of everything about Mike Vick. So um, at the time, the only thing that I really knew about the Chargers was my favorite, you know, linebacker. One of my favorite linebackers growing up was Junior Seau. And so, you know, I knew of that team really because of Junior. Um, and so I always thought that when the, and the rumblings were in, in town where I'm from, that Michael Vick was coming, going to go to the Chargers. That's where he was supposed to end up. Um, so, you know, when that didn't happen, I was like, wow, you know, you passed up on Mike Vick because we looked at Mike Vick because he's from the area as, you know, just the greatest. Put yourself in that moment. Vick was the most electrifying player in college football. He was a talent that many had said they just hadn't seen before at the quarterback position in terms of the way that he played it. And I'll never forget Mike Riley, who was the head coach at the time, saying that, you know, passing on Michael Vick is, is kind of like passing on Michael Jordan. Let's shift to the Chargers' front office. The Bolts have the top overall pick, and Vic seems to be the consensus. But inside at Chargers Park, that told a different story. Chargers general manager John Butler joined the team in January of 2001. And despite a 1-15 record the prior season, Butler knew a quarterback wasn't the only position the Bolts needed. In 2000, the Chargers didn't have a single rusher break 400 yards. Their longest run that entire year went for 26. Butler knew the Chargers needed an every-down rusher like he had during his glory days with the 90s Buffalo Bills. Both John Spanos and his father, Chargers owner Dean Spanos, remember Butler's emphasis on creating a hard-nosed offense. When you think about Thurman Thomas, I know the word versatility comes up, and you look at LaDainian Tomlinson, and he obviously embodied that. I mean, he's a player that could run inside with, with strength. He could run outside with speed and quickness. He could catch the ball. He could pass protect. I mean, he was the definition of versatile and obviously highly productive. That's the kind of team that he envisioned that he wanted us to be kind of a power running team. Uh, you know, Thurman Thomas was an incredible player, obviously. And, and LT just is different style, obviously, but uh, that's what his vision was clearly. But running back discussions would have to wait. The Chargers still owned a first overall pick that seemed to have Vic's name on it, and Tomlinson wasn't even considered a consensus top five selection. But despite all of his college success and a Senior Bowl MVP under his belt, the TCU standout still had work to do if he wanted to guarantee a spot in the top 10. That work started with preparing for the 2001 NFL Scouting Combine, the event where college football players go through meetings and physical evaluations with all 32 teams and personnel. When it came to scouting LT, teams wanted to see just one thing, speed. My agent said, this is going to be the thing that puts you above Deuce McAllister. You proved it at the senior ball, that you can play on the NFL level, that you're going to be a, a great player. Now they need to see how fast you are. Teams wanted Tomlinson to run in the sub 4-5 range. And even though that wasn't what he ran in college, it was clear to former TCU teammate Basil Mitchell that LT's talent was there. He just had to figure out how to put it together. But at the time, he, he didn't know how to run, especially a 40. So his 40 times were never good. But I was looking at the way he was moving. I was like, the kid can run, which he ended up, you know, 
get, getting that taken care of. But LT needed assistance if he wanted to reach his 40-time goal. So his agent enlisted some gold medal guidance, as ESPN's Ed Werder recalled. That help has become more commonplace for combine prep in the two decades since. You know, they go work out with Michael Johnson here in Dallas. Uh, you mentioned Olympic, you know, gold medalist who um, is able to elevate players um, because of the speed dynamic and the importance the NFL attaches to that at the skill positions. Michael Johnson, the four-time Olympic gold medal sprinter, explained how he wound up helping in the first place. The two bonded immediately over their Texas heritage, while Johnson took note of Tomlinson's physical gifts. LT's athletic ability wasn't the question. Johnson just needed to figure out how to get it to show up in Indianapolis. And uh, Tom Condon, who was the agent uh, for, for LT, was a friend of mine and said, hey, can you come down and, and, um, and help my guys um, get ready for this 40, you know, and give them some tips, because we were just talking one day, and I was, we were talking about the 40-yard dash for NFL guys, and so I said, yeah, sure. So I came down and, um, and, um, and met LT and um, started working with those guys and, and helping them, you know, prepare for their 40, working on their start. And um, yeah, and that was the first time I met LT, and he, had, he was from Waco. Uh, Texas, and I went to Baylor. I'm from Dallas, but I went to Baylor, which is in Waco. So, and I trained my entire career, um, my professional career down in Waco, because that's where my coach was. So we had that connection. So I started calling him Waco. It was clear to Johnson that Waco's athletic ability wasn't the question. Like any good coach, Johnson had to tap in and figure out how to get that speed to show up at the combine. I had learned from working with my own coach, and now I hire coaches in my company, Michael Johnson Performance. And, um, you know, one of the things you're always looking for in coaches is, you know, as a coach is to uh, is to, you know, figure out areas where the athlete may be limiting themselves. They're not allowing their natural ability to shine through. And so that was what I did with uh, with LT is we started talking about, you know, things that he could do um, that would allow him to be as quick and record times that were as quick as he actually was. Or the first thing I noticed that, you know, his start was just not great in the way that he was set up in his start, um, which sets up the entire 40 yard run. Uh, the way he was set up in his start didn't allow him to be as explosive as he really was. So that was the first thing we started working on and changing his, the way that he lined up um, and got in the start stance. And once he saw, you know, what that could do for him, he could feel that just that change was making him faster and making him more explosive and he felt faster. So he was bought in very, very quickly. And then, um, you know, with athletes, you know, with all great athletes, and LT was certainly one of those, you give them an instruction, they visualize it, and the really good athletes are able to then process, process that very quickly and execute on that. So, you know, it didn't take a lot of explaining and demonstrating for him to be able to click in and say, yeah, I got it and then go back to the line and then be able to execute that. Hey everyone, have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They are great for those days when you just don't really feel like cooking. You just pop them in the oven and done. One of my favorites is the chicken pot pie, filled with slow roasted hand shredded chicken breast and seasonal vegetables in a pie dough crust. And now for the fall, they've got a new oven roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey with gravy and all the trimmings. It's even got a pumpkin cheesecake dessert. So get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery, and you can check it all out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. Tomlinson had already been told over and over again how important his 40 time would be to his draft stock. 
but on his way to the combine, a conversation with the Dallas Cowboys coach on the plane proved just how important that time would be. It was a conversation so important, it stayed with the running back. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you think you're going to run at least a 4-5 at the combine? I said, uh, yes, sir, I think so. I think I'll run at least a 4-5. He said, I tell you what, if you run a 4-5, at least a 4-5, you're going to be the first running back taken. And so I went into the combine knowing that's it. That's all I have to do. I have to prove how fast I am. And if I blow it out the water, then I'm going to be the first running back taken. And, and so once I got to the combine, that was the only thing that I was focused on. And I remember being so nervous the night before I was getting ready to run the 40. This is the biggest day of my life, you know? And so I couldn't sleep, tossing and turning, dreaming about running fast. Uh, so the day comes and I see all the, you know, the scouts up there on the line, they have their watches and it comes down to it. I run, the, I run the race and I'm walking back and one of the scouts or, or a personnel person comes up to me and he says, you just blew that out the water. I didn't even know what I ran at that time. He just said, you blew it out the water. And so I knew it had to be, it was at least a four or five. I knew it was at least a four or five. And that's when I knew at that point, you know, I made the phone call to mom. I said, mom, we did it. He said, I blew him out, mom, I blew, mom, I blew him out. And I'm going, oh, great. Because I'm saying, okay, <laughs> what? Because we couldn't get the, the combine then. We can get it now, but we couldn't get it then. And shortly after, um, you know, the, that following week, I was at the top of the draft boards as the number one running back. As Ed Werder and John Clayton remember, a strong 40 time by Tomlinson was proof to scouts that he could be the workhorse of an NFL offense. You know, LT was a guy who could do it all. I mean, and he proved that over time. He's, he was a great receiver. Um, he was a great runner. He was fast. He was quick. He was instinctive. Um, you know, he had everything you could ever want in a running back. And once he was able to demonstrate, you know, burst and an and ability to accelerate at a, an uncommon level, um, but one necessary for his position, I think that is sort of what, you know, elevated him into that, you know, stratosphere of a top five top 10 pick in the NFL that year. I think he ran a four, four, six, which was so important because it just showed, okay, I can move the football. I can run the football. I can do those different things. And, uh, you know, he was able to do it so well. And so I thought that, uh, you know, the combine did obviously help him out. Along with a great 40 time, another telltale sign Tomlinson was probably going in the top 10 were the draft visits he was taking. Atlanta, fifth overall, New England, sixth overall, Chicago, eighth overall. But a certain team that held the first overall pick never called. The funny thing is I never met once with the Chargers, never talked to them, you know, and not even at the combine, you know, because at the combine you have these little two-minute meet and greets, you know, and I, I never, they, they weren't on my list, you know, and so I, I never had any idea that the Chargers were even interested in me until the day before the draft. While Tomlinson tried to figure out where he was getting drafted, the Spanos family and Butler were having conversations about their roster, needs, and trading back. John Butler was our new general manager at that time. He had just come from Buffalo, and uh, he called me in on a Friday afternoon, and uh, we started talking about the team and uh, his vision 
in terms of, you know, we just didn't have enough good players. He wanted to build a core group through the draft. So we needed to get more draft picks, et cetera. And uh, he said, how do you feel about, you know, switching with Atlanta? As we got closer to the 2001 NFL draft, obviously having the first pick, you start looking at who are the best players available in the draft. And um, at that time we had a lot of needs. So there were a lot of positions in play and LT's name was one of them. And he said, well, I can't guarantee it, but there's a, a young running back out of TCU and he's an exciting player. Uh, and he said, I can't guarantee this either, but I think he could be something special for the Chargers uh, for the future. And we talked a little bit more and I said, look, if you really feel that's the right thing to do, let's do it. You know, having so many needs back then, trading back allows you to get a lot of picks, fill more of those needs. But I got to give John Butler a ton of credit because he had very special feelings um, about LaDainian Tomlinson as a prospect. And I, I know a big part of him moving back was the opportunity to, to select LT. He made the trade, uh, obviously, and I think we got another third round pick uh, that same year from uh, Atlanta. I think we got a second round pick the following year from Atlanta. And we also got Tim Dwight, who was an exciting returner and wide receiver for us. And that was sort of the start uh, of the rebuild of our team or core of our team. And the rest is history because you know, obviously how well uh, LT did. Now that we know how this blockbuster trade came to be, how did LT find out about his new home? While the Chargers never reached out, a certain draft mate did. Here's the inside story from LT to Chargers team reporter, Chris Harey. The day before the draft, all the draftees, the ones that are invited to New York, to the draft, we're doing our media tour. You know, GQ, ESPN Zone, interviews, all that kind of stuff. Mike Vick comes to me and says, hey, he says, um, I'm not going to get a deal done with the Chargers. So they're going to trade the pick and they're going to draft you. I'm like, what? I said, why would they do that? Like, man, you're crazy. He said, I'm telling you, we've been, we've been on the phone all day. My agent told me, you know, we can't get a deal done. And he said at that time, the GM, the late John Butler, said to his agent, if we can't get a deal done with you, Vic, then we're going to trade the pick and we're going to draft LaDainian Thomas. So I didn't Michael believe Vic, Vic. LT, Michael Vick broke the news to you that you were going to be a charge. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Michael Vick broke the news to me. And I still didn't believe him at the time until later that evening, as I'm getting ready to go to sleep, I see the trade happens. It goes, be, um, it, it was on obviously at the bottom of the, the ticker on television that the Chargers had traded the first pick to the Atlanta Falcons. The Chargers now hold the fifth pick. And I stood up in my bed at that time and said, holy cow, I'm going to the Chargers. Hey everyone, have you checked out the TV dinners over at Lazy Dog yet? They are great for those days when you just don't really feel like cooking. You just pop them in the oven and done. One of my favorites is the chicken pot pie, filled with slow roasted hand shredded chicken breast and seasonal vegetables in a pie dough crust. And now for the fall, they've got a new oven roasted turkey dinner. I'm talking turkey with gravy and all the trimmings. It's even got a pumpkin cheesecake dessert. So get them at Lazy Dog for pickup or delivery, and you can check it all out at LazyDogRestaurants.com. Let's fast forward to draft night. One of the NFL's most highly anticipated events became that much more meaningful for the Chargers. 
A trade that would forever change the trajectory of two franchises was in place, and John Spanos was on site. I mean, you know, it's the only draft I've ever attended the actual ceremony part um, in New York. And, you know, my understanding was I was going to go there just to write down the names on the card. And then I get the call that they want me to go on stage and give them the jersey because back then, don't forget, there were not many players who attended the draft back then. There was only a couple or a handful. You know, in today's draft, there's there's a lot, right? Over 30. Um, back then, there may have only been, you know, a couple, five, six, six guys. And we didn't know who we were going to draft. And when I got the call that, you know, if LaDainian Tomlinson is there and we pick him, we, because he's in New York, we want you to give him the jersey on stage, which I was not prepared for. I had not expected that, um, but, you know, fulfilled, you know, the obligation and went up and gave it to him. And I mean, it, it, what was so cool about it, it was such a joyous moment, you know, for LaDainian, for the team, for his family. You know, he had his family there and they were all so happy. It was just a really special moment. While it was a special day for Tomlinson and the Chargers, this all-time draft moment created quite a stir for ESPN, who had sent reporter Ed Warder to the Chargers for one reason, that first overall pick. I flew from my home in Dallas to San Diego, arrived, I believe it was on Friday, two days, a day before the NFL draft that year in 2001. Uh, we started setting up in a room the Chargers provided us, to, expecting to be there for the following two days to cover the team. Um, and no sooner did we get set up than was the number one overall pick sent all the way across the country to Atlanta. Uh, and there was some conversation because we weren't planning to cover the Falcons draft. We had nobody assigned there. There was some conversation about whether they should have me abandon the Chargers draft and go cover the Falcons. If they had not traded it all the way across the country, um, I think it's possible I might not have been there at all that year with the Chargers. But as it was, they decided. Um, it was too difficult to, to last minute move me uh, to the Falcons who weren't expecting to have anybody there. Uh, and so they had me just stay in San Diego and cover whatever it was the Chargers were expecting to do. As Warder noted, draft night can be crazy from all angles, whether you're on a team or you're covering one. Throw a trade in there and it gets even wilder. As someone who had keen knowledge on what the Chargers were going to do at number five, Warder remembers all the other players on the Bolts draft board. You know, I think... Um, uh, John Butler and A.J. Smith had some interest in a couple of the defensive linemen in that draft. I think Gerald Warren uh, was one of the guys that were interested in Justin Smith, and they both happened to go right before the Chargers picked, and so they were off the board and, and no longer under consideration. And then the Chargers left with that, uh, that scenario, uh, did the smart thing, and, and took LaDainian Tomlinson from TCU. I think everybody knew that he was a really unique and dynamic type of back. But, you know, I don't think there was a universal consensus that he was going to be a Hall of Fame type player just because, you know, there were some misgivings about his size at the time. Um, but obviously he proved all his doubters wrong in, in a short space of time. And then what they did after that uh, was even more incredible than what they did with the fifth pick to, on the second day of the draft, uh, get Drew Brees. But the Chargers didn't just draft their running back of the future. They paired him with a quarterback he already loved, the aforementioned Drew Brees. From playing together in their high school all-star game to meeting again at the college football awards ceremony, the Spanos family had selected two friends to lead their ball club, and John Butler did his homework. But while pundits like Warder may have had questions about a six-foot quarterback and a workhorse running back, those inside the Chargers organization knew those two were really special. But little did anyone know 
that the Bolts' first two selections in the 2001 draft would be future Hall of Famers. I, I found out the day of the draft, actually. I didn't know they were that close and they had that sort of relationship. I remember John saying that. Um, and of course, Drew, we got him, at the, I believe, at the top of the second round. And he was just uh, obviously an exciting uh, quarterback for us. And he, uh, same type of guy, you know, very respectful, very quiet, just a good person. And so having those two key guys and, and them be really basically being your team leadership was important at that time. I know that Drew Brees was another player that John really liked and, and our scouts really liked. And he was a targeted player and quarterback was a position of need. And, um, you know, I know that the team actually tried to move up to get him and was not able to move up. And then he fell to our pick in the second round and, and they were they were thrilled to get him because, I mean, in the history of the draft, I'm not sure there's been a better one-two uh, draft pick than LT and Drew Brees. Drafting back-to-back -back Hall of Famers isn't common, but doing it with the team's picks in the first and second round is even more rare, as the Chargers are only one of three teams to accomplish this feat. But as excited as the Chargers' brass was, so too was Tomlinson. He literally never thought his friend would end up on the same NFL team as him, but fate, it had other plans. It was just destiny. Like, it, this was supposed to happen. There was no way, obviously, Drew Brees was supposed to fall to the second round. And we see it happen, happen every year, um, you know, but as prolific as he was, I thought it was no way, you know, that he would fall to the second round. And when it happened, I just was in disbelief. But you know what? I think beyond that, I was overjoyed more than anything because I knew the quality of a person, a player, you know, that we were gonna get. And the commitment that that Drew um, had, that I, I knew, I knew the person. There was no question in my mind that he would he would lead, put this organization in a great spot and be a great leader. I mean, there was, it was no question about that. But I was more happy, I guess, um, personally, because I had my friend that I can go through my, my rookie season with. We, we can go through this together. The unknowns, we're gonna get through this together. The previously one in 15 Chargers had found their building blocks. These were guys the franchise could build around. But while we know Tomlinson was excited about being reunited with Breeze, how did he find out? Let's hear from Tomlinson himself. Let's just say it was a ride he'd never forget and a ride that ushered in a brand new era of Chargers football. And then you're in a, you're in a car service and you're on the way to the airport. You know, you're going to Destination City where you just got drafted. So I'm on my way to San Diego. And during, during the, the car ride, the limo driver, he has the draft on. So we're listening to all the picks, you know, and then sure enough, the Chargers come around again, first pick in the second round, and and, and the limo driver, you know, he kind of leaned back and said, hey, the Chargers are back on the clock. And then I couldn't really hear it, but I heard him say, oh, my God, are you kidding me? They just drafted Drew Brees. And I said, no way. Are you kidding me? And sure enough, they drafted Drew Brees. So I, 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 I get to the airport. I fly to San Diego and Drew, obviously we meet at the airport at that time. And man, we, we you know, conversed in big hugs. And the one thing that we said at that time, you know, it was, it was like a, you know, it was like a fairy tale or something. He said, man, we, we started in high school, you know, we, we 
known each other since then. Now we're drafting on the same team. We said, hey, let's change this organization around. Let's make it a championship organization. This has been an LA Chargers production. Coming up next on Running for History, we explore Tomlinson's rise to stardom in the NFL and the coach whose philosophy unlocked his full potential. With LT, I think one of the best things that happened for LT was playing for Marty Schottenheimer because Marty Schottenheimer was committed to the run game and everybody knew it and it created a culture internally about we are going to run it. Okay, like Marty's dislike for the Raiders, a very real thing. Obviously, he spent a lot of time with the Chiefs and then he came here. And um, I mean, you knew in the building when it was Raider week, you knew when it was Raider week. And, and again, like the team felt that. He instilled a lot of things that uh, goes far beyond the football field. Um, and, you know, that's why I always miss it. Running the football with physical, a physical nature and wearing your opponent down. That's, that's, you know, that's essentially what it is. Um, it's going to be a 60 minute, maybe even longer game. But the objective is to wear your opponent down. And a lot of times you do that by doing the same play over and over again throughout the course of a game. And that, that play is called power.